Hi everybody and welcome back. Our modern day Halloween celebration originates from the Celtic tradition of Samhain. Samhain was the annual festival that was meant to signify the end of summer, the start of fall, and onset of winter. And during this time, the thought of the day was the spirits or the dead would return from the other world and return to walk among the living. And so in order to protect themselves and confuse the evil spirits, people would don costumes and disguises in order to confuse these lost souls from taking them back to the great beyond. Another attempt was to carve up squash and gourds and put candles in them as a means of defense and protection. Now this, of course, is how we get our modern-day tradition of dressing up in costumes and carving pumpkins and putting candles in them. Now also during the festival of Samhain, there was this tradition of sacrifice where the Druid priests would believe that they could predict the future, and by doing so, they would sacrifice animals, crops, and even people. Now, this event was twofold. Not only could they believe they might see the future or be able to predict it, but they were also trying to ward off the evil spirits, and they thought that by having these sacrifices, they could, in, fact, in, in turn, protect everyone around them. Now, we certainly didn't carry that tradition over into the modern day. Thank God for that. But you can understand, as it relates to the costume and jack-o'-lantern tradition, the idea of spookiness and things going bump in the night originates from a place of darkness and, frankly, ghastly origins. Samhain now is the modern-day Halloween, and the origins for this holiday are dark and grim, <laughs> and that's putting it lightly. And on that theme... That's what's setting up the discussion for today's episode. The third installment in the Halloween franchise, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, takes the very premise of this Celtic, Celtic tradition and brings it into the modern age. Now, Halloween 3 is often regarded as the proverbial black sheep of the franchise. This was the first attempt in the series to break away from the aura of Michael Myers and a desire to tell new stories set on or around Halloween. Think of The Twilight Zone, Tales of the Crypt, or even American Horror Story. That was the intention. That was the initiative, that they could do anything with the holiday and have it be set on Halloween and you know, the money would pour in, so to speak. But in 1982, when the film was in fact released, that experiment was put to the test and it failed on a spectacular level, causing such reverberations in the Halloween production company that lawsuits would eventually be filed, not necessarily because of the film's failure, both critically and commercially, but because of the desire to bring Michael Myers back to the big screen. The reaction to this film, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, was a major thumbs down from both fans and critics alike, and that of course set up Michael Myers' return to the big screen in 1988. But that's not the story that I want to talk to you about today. Instead, I want to go back and revisit the proverbial black sheep of the Halloween franchise, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which is now entering its 41st year since its release, and in that time, thanks to a small but determined group of 
of fans. This film has received a revaluation, and now it has become not only a cult classic and favorite, but is widely regarded as one of the best movies, not only in the particular franchise, but as a scary movie as well. And so that is the story that I'm going to be talking to you about today on this episode of Phil at the Movies, a continuation of Spooky Season 2023. Now, before we put Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, on the chopping block, it's best to start not in 1982 when the film was released, but to start in 1981 when Halloween 2 came out. Now, Halloween 2 is famous for a number of reasons. First off, it is the first sequel in the series, and arguably it is the one that established Michael Myers as a constant presence and not a one-off creation uh, fixed to one particular movie. Instead, Halloween 2 picks up the threads from the original film, set in 1978, and carries them through to a fiery explosion. Spoiler warning ahead. Halloween 2 was done, I don't want to say under duress, but John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, both the writer and producer respectively, had no interest in continuing the story, despite the film's ambiguous ending. In 1978, they felt that it was a one-off movie, that there was no more story left. But because of the film's success and because of contractual obligations and the desire to tell other stories, John Carpenter did relent and wrote Halloween 2. Now, he famously has said that he wrote Halloween 2 with the help of a six-pack because he could not figure a storyline for this particular film. And thus, we get the twist of all twists, at least in the horror genre, of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode being brother and sister, a decision which I have said many times on this particular podcast is not my preferred route for the series. I like it better when Michael Myers is left an enigma and we don't know anything about his rationalizations or methods. But any event, that was the decision to tell the story in Halloween 2, and of course, as I said, it ends in a fiery explosion with both Michael Myers and Dr. Loomis played once again by Donald Pleasance. They both go up in flames, and that was meant to end it. The thought was Michael Myers is dead, they aren't going to bring him back anymore, and now, of course, we say, okay, that's just foolishness because franchises and series are dragged out and sometimes milked uh, well past their expiration date. But in any event, in 1981, the idea of a continuing franchise, a series of films like this, was not commonplace like it is today. And so the thought, of course, was with the fiery explosion at the end of Halloween 2, there would be no Halloween 3 featuring Michael Myers. And the decision was to then take the series in a new direction. Now, this, of course, got John Carpenter and Deborah Hill very excited, and they were interested in seeing where they could explore the Halloween holiday and origins and take it in different manners. Gone would be a man in a mask and a typical slasher film. What instead would be something much more cerebral and frankly darker in a lot of ways because of the exploration of the Halloween origins and themes found in this particular film. The plot of this film, the basic setup, 
is right before Halloween, a man comes into the hospital and dies while holding a Halloween mask. And this sets up both an emergency room doctor and the man's daughter to investigate what happened. And it takes them to the small town of Santa Mira, California, where Discover, the Silver Shamrock Company, is producing these masks that are being distributed all across the country and, in theory, all across the world to be worn by kids on Halloween night. And at the correct hour, as a jingle is uh, playing on all televisions and broadcasting, the mask will activate a secret device within them that will, in turn, cause this mass murder event and replicate the origins of Sawin. What I mentioned at the start, kind of a ritualistic sacrifice returning Halloween back to its grim and bloody beginnings. Now, what we have in this film is a fantastic cast. Uh, the, the doctor... Dr. Chalice is played by wonderful character actor Tom Atkins, and and he he really brings a a charm and, and a, a a swagger to this film that you you don't always see in these types of films, uh, particularly in in horror movies. But his his doctor his character is an emergency room doctor. He has a strained relationship with his with his ex wife and kids. He's a struggling alcoholic. He's really the antithesis of a doctor, and yet he gets caught up in this in this chaos of of Halloween masks. And it's it's really an interesting kind of a spotlight on on kind of an everyman or, or sort of an average man being thrown into a circumstance way out of his league and trying to to navigate it. Uh, there's, there's some real fascinating scenes in this particular movie where. It's not just a a straightforward horror film. There's a blending of of genres. There's a a sci-fi element to it. And by that I mean there's an introduction of androids in the film. And there's a discovery that a lot of the employees at this particular factory are androids. And then later on in the film, the, uh, the, the, the daughter character, Ellie, played by... Stacy Nelkin, she turns out to be an android as well, and kind of this last-minute twist before the film's ending. Don't ask how you know she becomes an android that's never shown on film, but it is a great uh, twist moment, and, and frankly, a, a kind of a final scare before the film's more ominous ending. But as I said, the, the movie tries to explore both the origins of Halloween in the modern-day setting while also offering a, at times, cynical commentary on the commercialization of the Halloween holiday and the, uh, the mad businessman type, the, uh, the witch or the warlock, if you will, uh, played by uh, Dan O'Hillerhey, who is uh, named Connell Cochran. Great name for a movie villain. He's determined to put these masks out there and, like I said, kind of return Halloween to its its bloody origins. And, you know, he has a real presence in, in this film. Again, this is not a guy in a, in a mask, so to speak, in a, in a motionless figure like Michael Myers. You, you get a villain in this movie that has a lot more personality and, and really has a, a mission that they're on. It's a crazy one, but it is a mission nevertheless. And so you're kind of seeing the journey 
of this character, you know, vis-a-vis uh, Atkins and Ellie's attempts to to stop him. So again, sort of this blending of of the genres. You've got a little bit of science fiction coupled with coupled with straight up horror, and they show during the film what happens once the masks are, are advocated or activated I should say by the uh, by the TV broadcast and you know, as an aside the the commercial jingle is set to the tune of London Bridge is falling down and it's it's both sweet and charming and yet unnerving and, and scary at the same time I mean, it's again they were firing on all cylinders with this particular film to create something different and new uh, that you know, was unlike the films uh, that had come before with a guy in a mask running around and chasing people. This film really is, is much more of a thriller in a way than just a straightforward uh, Halloween-centric horror film. But back to the situation with the mask, because that's the whole point. Uh, you know, once people wear these masks on Halloween and the commercial is playing and some sort of signal is uh, is activated because the, the way the masks are designed is like pieces of Stonehenge uh, in, uh, implanted into them and then, you know, through, uh, you know, witchcrafted uh, and wizardry, if you will, the mask will be activated at the magic hour and cause these horrible uh, reactions, so to speak. So they, they show it on screen, what happens once the masks are, are, are activated. And it's just this nightmarish vision of, of the mass sort of almost you know devouring or, or, or sort of melting itself onto its its victims. I mean it's it's straight out horror and gross and, and unsettling. But the effects for the film, I mean this is nineteen eighty two mind you, they hold up remarkably well. Uh, even you know considering this is now a forty one year old film. And, and again, I think that really is a testament to the practical effects of the era, but but also just good filmmaking. It is horrifying to watch. You, know, you couple with the with the jingle music, and then sort of the mask melting and molding and revealing you know scorpions and snakes and and uh, different kind of creatures popping out. It, it's stuff of nightmares. I mean, the first time I saw this film, I was bothered by it to no end. I think I had to even shut it off. I was like, God, this is really unsettling. But it stays with you, and it's one of those uh, you know, standout moments from from this particular film, and, and it and it lingers with you. This is a film that sort of taps into the uh, the, the psyche in a way. It's not just a, a straightforward scare and thrill type of movie. There is something deeper, and and you can see that Carpenter Hill and and the director Tommy Lee Wallace were trying to to do something in an innovative way. Like I said, more akin to the Twilight Zone, if you will. Uh, and, and I appreciate that. Well, you know, while I, of course, everyone knows, I prefer Michael Myers as the, the focus of the Halloween series, I understand and respect what they were trying to do with this with this film, which was to say we're going to do something different. We're going to do something innovative and not just rely on the Boogeyman and, and Michael Myers and, and instead do something that really encompasses the whole holiday. And it's a, a fascinating example of what could have been. As I said, this was meant to be the first in a new line of films that would have explored the holiday and any kind of event happening on or around it. So, you know, it's, it's tantalizing to think about what other movies might have been 
in the in the idea bank, so to speak. And even the director has said they when they made this film, they were already thinking of a Halloween four and five that again would have taken this particular concept uh, and, and just gone off in different directions. And in theory, each of these films might have even developed sequels in their own right. Uh, this film in particular ends on a very ambiguous and ominous note where even though the character of, of Chalice is able to escape the, the factory and destroy it, he still has to try to get the commercial from playing on, on all of the different broadcasts. And even though he's successful in some right, the film leaves you wondering, is he ultimately successful in, in getting the commercial pulled off of all the airwaves because it ends with him literally looking into screen into the screen on the phone and on the phone and just screaming no 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 stop it stop it stop it and then of course it cuts to black and so we don't really know if if the plan was successful and or Chalice was able to uh, get the, uh, the the commercial pulled off of all of the airwaves again very very dark very ominous ending that kind of leaves you uh, uh, stays with you after you've uh, left the le- left the movie but getting back to what this film uh, what this film represented and what the ultimate reaction was as I, as I indicated at the start the film was a terrific failure I mean th- this movie made no money it, it was aggravating to to fans and to critics alike because you have to understand in 1982 this is before social media is before sort of the mass marketing effect that we see with movies today. And so a year prior, you have Halloween 2 be, uh, be released. Come now a year later, we've got Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. You can understand why audiences probably thought, oh, this is the next installment of the Halloween series. And again, this is before, you know, trailers and, and, and t- TV uh, teasers and whatnot were kind of in vogue like they are today. I mean, 9 out of 10, if you saw a, a teaser or a trailer, you saw it in the theater. You didn't see it playing on your TV. And what you might have read was either in like a small uh, entertainment magazine or, or just sort of heard from word heard of, from word of mouth. And so people going into this film largely assumed, okay, it's Halloween. It's, it's the next installment in the series. Now, granted... None of the marketing features Michael Myers. There's no indication in both the trailer and the poster that this has anything to do with the story that came before, outside, of course, the title. But you can understand, people seeing Halloween 3, you're going to assume, all right, where's Michael? And yes, Michael Myers is in this film, interestingly enough, but it is the what you could call a cameo of a cameo. The character of Atkins during a scene is in the bar and on the TV screen the movie Halloween is playing and then later on when he's captured in the in the factory he also discovers uh, or also sees Halloween playing on the TV so like it's sort of an in in joke reference to the to the movie and acknowledges Halloween as a movie within a movie, which again I certainly appreciate. But uh, if you're going into this film expecting to see Michael Myers, it's like okay, that that's that's not what we paid to, uh, paid to see. And so you can understand people were, were 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 frustrated, they were disappointed, and it turned people off. I think this is a classic case because. The film has been reevaluated, as I said. It's been a cult 
favorite for a number of years. And now, of course, it, it's it's fashionable. People talk about how much they love this film. People have rediscovered it, reevaluate, reappraised it, and, and have found it to be one of the stronger uh, entries in the series, but but also a strong horror movie in its own right. And I think part of the issue here, really the only issue as far as I can see, because the film itself is is perfect. It, it has scares, it has thrills, it really does dig at the origins of Halloween and, and presents it in a modern day context while also offering a commentary on our commercialization of the holiday. I mean, even the character of Cochran says in the film, he sort of you know, decries the, the commercialization of Halloween and how people have turned it into this almost a joke, you know, begging for candy and carving up pumpkins and having Halloween parties and the like. And it's, again, a very interesting uh, sort of dissection of the holiday itself. But in, in a lot of ways, I think the film was set up to fail from the get-go because the title, Halloween 3, doesn't matter if it's Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. You see Halloween 3 and people are going to assume, okay, this is Halloween, it's a continuation of the other two films. If this movie had been called Season of the Witch, I think it would have found an audience immediately and would have been widely regarded as a great scary movie. Putting the title Halloween 3 before it damaged, I think, any goodwill this movie might have found, and I think it caused people to turn against it. It created the backlash and relegated it to the uh, you know, sort of the basement, if you will, uh, for a number of years, with the exception of a small but devoted group of, of fans and even critics who saw this film for what it was, not what it could have been or what people thought it would be. And through persistence and, and determination, the film is now held up as a, I mean, in a lot of ways, a classic horror film. The, the, the three masks that are featured predominantly in this film have reappeared countless times in movies and, and TV shows and print. You can even buy them now. I mean, it's a whole, a whole cottage industry dedicated to Halloween 3. I mean, the fact is right now, as the Halloween franchise is trying to chart its next course, there's a lot of discussions and even thoughts and hopes among the fans that there might be a continuation for this particular film, a new story or maybe even a reboot of sorts. That would have been unthinkable right after this film was released. Like I said, in 1988, Michael Myers was brought back to the big screen and sort of the, the stain of Halloween 3 was, was wiped away and no one, nobody talked about it. Um, but I, I think the one of the original uh, executive producers, Mustafa Akkard, who was really the kind of the, the godfather of the Halloween franchise uh, for a number of years until his, his death in the early 2000s, he said it best. Halloween 3 is not a, a Michael Myers movie. It's not part of the Halloween canon, but it's still a good movie. And I think that's important to say. This is not a Michael Myers movie, and it, it really exists in its own little bubble outside of the Halloween canon. But it is a good film in its own right. It's scary. It's suspenseful. There's a cool number of twists involved. The practical effects are amazing. You've got terrific production design, and you have a, a film that explores the the origins of Halloween in a much deeper way than, say, even the two previous films, uh, which were more concentrated on the individual characters or the nature 
of evil. Interestingly enough, the the mention of Sawin, uh, pronounced Sam Hain in the film, was first discovered or first revealed, if you will, in Halloween 2. And there's sort of some interesting symbolism that goes into that film vis-a-vis the the origins of the holiday, particularly with sacrifice and, and fires and, 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 and explosions uh, of, of the like. And it's just sort of interesting to see how those seeds were more or less planted in the previous film and then explored in a whole different way in this third film. Uh, so I just wanted to take today to kind of re reaffirm uh, my my love for this film and, and just encourage you if you are uh, looking for a good scary movie to watch this year. This is one uh, that I would put on any list. Even if you're not necessarily a, a fan of, of horror movies, just as a suspense and a thrill movie, this one definitely holds uh, holds up. And again, if you're not a fan of, of slashers and, and, and blood and gore, this kind of finds that, that, that happy middle ground. Uh, but it's, it's a film that continues to garner praise and, and sort of love all of these years later. And that's impressive. And I think it sort of stands to, to reason that not every film finds an audience in its initial release. A lot of times it can take years, if not decades, for a movie to be fully appreciated. And I sort of compare this third entry, interestingly enough, to the third entry in the last Halloween trilogy from last year's Halloween Ends, which, despite being a, a relative financial success, has divided both fans and critics alike. And I just sort of would say Halloween 3 you know, certainly was much more of a cult classic, given its, uh, its failure both with critics and audience uh, audiences, Halloween Ends is much more uh, of a successful film, financially speaking, but has uh, got its both defenders and its and its critics. And I would just say, as someone who personally liked Halloween Ends and and, and also likes Halloween Three: Season of the Witch, I think uh, it's far too early to to render a verdict on 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 any particular film right after it, it, it releases. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time for a film to to marinate in, in an audience's mind and sometimes perception and, and, and expectations can be the devil, uh, so to speak. And, and once you're sort of away from that, uh, that arena, things can be uh, reassessed and ultimately rediscovered. And, and Halloween 3, Season of the Witch is a classic case of that. This is a film that now is is held up as this sort of you know, gold standard, if you will, for a horror movie. And it's, again, it's just sort of a fascinating what if, because this was meant to start a whole new line of Halloween-centric movies. And again, now, of course, I think today it would have found an audience because people are much more in tune and receptive to this idea of anthologies and sort of one-off movies. But again, this was a different world, so to speak, in, in 1982, and so I think there was definitely more of a, of a pushback and resistance, but again, everything, uh, everything in due course, and, and now Halloween 3 is, is, is much, uh, much better regarded and, and certainly worthy of, of praise and, and all of its uh, sort of newfound accolades, if you will, but definitely one to, to check out, and, and one that I have at least uh, on my my uh, horror watch list every 
October. It, it, it's worth it's worth a, a, a rewatch every year. Just again from from its standalone qualities and from its experimental uh, intentions. I certainly can appreciate that as as a writer and, and, and a lover of film to see what was what was the, the thought, what was the intention, and, and the ultimate. Uh, end is a movie that is, while different from what came be- before, it's its own unique twisted thing, and that is something I ultimately appreciate. So there we go. There's my little my little spiel on on Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. Definitely worth checking out if you have not done so, or if you're looking for a perfect horror movie to watch this Halloween season. But in any event, that is all that I have for you today. I'll be back next week, and we'll do this all over again for the love of scary movies. 